Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Beyond Surviving, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, healing, connection, and even laughter and fun. Most importantly, it's about letting go of the pain of abuse and finally moving on. In this week's episode, I'm so excited to introduce you to Ann Cuthbert. She is a wonderful, amazing healer and coach around food, weight, body. So if you ever feel like you spend too much of your time thinking about food and worrying about your weight or in front of the fridge and just not really sure what you're doing there, um, I know that you're going to really enjoy this talk as she shares with us nine ways to overcome food and weight obsessions. And in this part one, we're going to be looking at part the first three steps. And then in part two, you'll get the remaining uh, steps. So enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me and my guest, Anne Cuthbert, tonight as we talk about the nine doable steps to break your emotional eating habits. I recently had the great pleasure of getting to know Anne while attending a conference and was immediately struck by her warmth and openness, which I know she brings to the amazing work she does with her clients. As some of you may know, I work with survivors of childhood sexual abuse who are beyond sick and tired of feeling broken and unfixable and I help them let go of the pain of abuse and feel normal. As Anne and I talked about our clients, I shared how many of my clients are struggling with their weight, and I often find that my clients, once we've processed the unresolved trauma, are in need of support to go further in this particular area, so I immediately knew that I had to share her work with my community. So tonight, 
I'll start off by telling you a little bit about Anne, and then she will share with us how she got started working with people who struggle with disordered eating and body image. Then we'll jump right in to Anne's nine steps that help people and helped her break out of the cycle of emotional eating and learn to love their bodies and themselves. Now, Anne knows firsthand what it is like to deal with food and body issues. For years, she struggled with food issues and hating her body. She compared herself to every woman she saw and resisted exercising, refusing to give in to what other people told her she should do and how she should look. She ate to hide how she was feeling and to avoid being close to anyone. She thought she couldn't be loved if she was fat. Fourteen years later, she no longer uses food to cope. She feels good about herself, her body, and her life, and is passionate about helping others recover as well. Along with her personal and professional experience with eating disorders, she is licensed as a marriage and family therapist in California and a licensed professional counselor in Oregon. She holds a master's degree in counseling psychology from Antioch University, Santa Barbara, and you can learn more about her at foodisnottheenemy.com. And thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you, Rachel. I, I'm so glad to be here and um, welcome everyone. I'm, I'm really excited to be talking about this tonight. Yes. So to get us started, could you share a little bit about how you got um, started working with people who dis, um, with disordered eating and body image? Yeah, definitely. I'd love to. As you were kind of reading my my bio, my history, I'm sitting here nodding because it's so true, all of that. I, I compared myself. That was really the most painful thing for me. I compared myself to every woman, and I just felt bad about myself or, you know, every once in a while I'd be like, well, at least I look better than her. You know, it's like my whole self-esteem was based on on this. And I worried about everything I ate and felt bad for eating Snickers, felt bad for not exercising enough, and just it it was really painful. But for a long time, I didn't even know that. I had no idea how much it was really hurting me and taking away from my life until one day I really got it. It was like I was comparing myself yet again to someone, you know, walking in front of me and I just thought, wow, her life must be so great because of the way she looks and how great her hair was and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, it was just like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing to myself? And so that's when I, I got this needed to change and want, wanted it to change, kind of knew that it, it had to and it would. And so that's when I really started working on it. And not just my relationship with food, but I started working on myself and started working on all of my issues from childhood that left me feeling so unworthy and unlovable. Mm. And it's made a huge, huge difference in my life. So I've, I've always been interested in eating disorders, always, since I was a kid. Anytime I could, I would write a paper on it, and it, I, it just drew my attention, and I never really knew why. I always wanted, knew I wanted to be a counselor, so it kind of, the two came together easily for me. It's like, okay, I'm going to work with eating disorders. But at the time, there's not a lot of information about eating disorders. I kind of knew it existed, right. but I didn't feel like everybody was inflicted by it. Now, of course, I believe most people are and probably were just like me. 
Um, so, but it, so it wasn't very difficult to put the two together. I worked on my issues around it, and I feel so much compassion for women who struggle and knowing that they don't need to struggle and knowing how much it takes away from how they feel about themselves. And our culture, of course, is so focused on dieting and losing weight mm-hmm. and who you are is not good enough that they I'm really passionate about helping feel differently about themselves, to really accept their bodies, to love themselves, and from the inside out, um, from a place of deep within, and and then having a, their who they really are shine. So that's I my love life. that. I love that, and I think that's certainly something that um, many of us can relate to is the constant comparison trap that we fall into, and and looking at our body shape and how, even how, you know, our hair color or the color of our eyes, our skin tone, all the way yeah. down to those things, um, comparing ourselves and then um, taking that uh, to determine our own worth and our own value, whether we're meeting the, the mark or not. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you think, uh, would you characterize your journey as, uh, you know, kind of struggling with an eating disorder? Did you ever identify as having uh, a particular, you know, one of the commonly named eating disorders? Um, you know, that's a great question, and I, I really appreciate it because a lot of my clients don't necessarily do that, and yet they're struggling, you know, with feeling guilty about what they eat or hating how they look and comparing, which are all disordered eating or eating disorder behaviors, things that we do. Um, so that does fall in the category. But you're right. There's Mostly when I talk to people and I tell them what I do, I work with eating disorders, they think anorexia or bulimia. Yeah. And most women are not anorexic or bulimic. And most of the women I work with are not anorexic or bulimic, um, but are, are struggling somewhere on the continuum between you know, compulsively overeating all the time and not having any kind of um, punishing way of getting rid of that. Um, and someone anorexic, I mean, this culture, it's hard to escape that. Mm-hmm. So um, so most women do that. But for myself, I, I was very aware of my, especially when I was younger, of my, I wanted so badly to just starve myself. It felt like if I could just do that, everything would be okay. Mm. And so I can definitely identify that. And I, I didn't. One reason was because whenever I got too hungry, I would uh, feel sick. <laughs> so uh-huh. I never really, I couldn't do that. And I was bummed about that, really. But um, but also there's a, there's a voice. It's kind of like this small voice in my head that said, don't do it, Anne. Don't do that because if you do that, you'll just end up with more problems than you already have. Mm. And I really owe a lot to that voice. I don't know yeah. where it came from or why it was there, but but it it knew that that was not going to be my solution. Mm. Has it been that same inner voice that's guided you to this new place where you are, you know, really accepting and you feel comfortable and, and you um, are no longer kind of burdened and constantly struggling with, around food and, and feeling good about yourself? Yeah, yeah, I would say so for sure. That's my healthy voice, and I think everybody has one, mm-hmm. that healthy voice that, that says, you know, that's not healthy, don't do that. It's just small, you know, so my healthy voice is louder now. Yeah. 
and it's bigger, and so it it can interfere when I am thinking, oh, you know, someone might not like me because of my body shape, then that healthy voice like, oh, no, that's so not true. You're just (laughs) awesome no matter what your body shape. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That that inner goddess voice that just says, oh, man, that's their loss anyway if they don't like what's happening over here. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now, you mentioned um, that you work with women, um, and and surely um, we know that women are um, being confronted quite often with uh, images and expectations about how they should look, how they should behave. Um, Do you find that men are impacted by this problem as well? Yeah, definitely, absolutely. I'd say women because mostly women are, and, and as everyone can imagine and your own experience and just listening to other women talk about what diet they're doing and how badly they, they hate hate their body and I'm sad and things like that. You know, it's really pervasive with women, but it is men. It's getting worse for men, too, unfortunately. So I have worked with some men on this, um, and and they've been helped by it. Um, I think it will continue to go in that direction as well. It's just too hard to escape the message of our culture, and it's just mostly it's for women. It's with women. Um, you know, men still you know, it's kind of okay to have to be fat as a man, um, but less and less. More so, mm-hmm. they're getting the discrimination, the criticism as much. Mm, got it. Yeah. Well, okay, good. And so as you were, you know, you had this moment when you're walking down the street and are saying, oh, yet again, here I am comparing myself, making myself feel low and worthless um, by looking at the external world and judging myself as a result. Um, and you said, that, you know, that was it. I knew. I knew at that moment that it was time to do something different. So how did you start making that transition and making that change for yourself? Um, for me, the first – what ended up happening for me is I, I found a, uh, a friend, a mentor, um, who just happened to work with eating disorders. And I that wasn't significant at the time. What was is I started on a journey of personal growth. Mm-hmm. And um, we did workshops, and um, I got a lot of healing from that, uh, just around you know my self-esteem and and childhood trauma and and things. And then um, one day, her eating disorder specialist um, self came forward and told me, you know, I think you should you should do this um, one step, and I'm going to talk about that that step later um, in a moment, and. She said, I think you should do this, and I think it'll it'll be really helpful. And that changed everything. I was terrified to do it. It took a couple of weeks before I finally was like, okay, I'm going to do this, because it, it was really scary. And I'll, again, talk more about that um, and how it works with those steps when we talk about tonight. But once I committed to doing it, everything changed. It, it was really mm-hmm. miraculous. And... Um, that paired with the, the personal growth work that I was doing, really, that was huge toward learning more about myself as well as just freeing myself from this obsession with food. And it's through that process that I created um, these steps um, to work together with um, healing a relation with food, but also healing what's going on underneath that. Yeah, and you know that when when we were talking, that piece 
uh, is what really spoke to me so much, that you have really tapped into, that it's not about just the food. It's not about just the diet or just about the exercise. It's about what's really going on that's driving those behaviors. And when we start to look at those, we can really begin to see the shifts and changes that we want. So... Let's not keep them waiting. Let's get let's get into it. I know everyone's wondering what are these nine steps. Um, so tell us the first one. Um, yes, I'm so excited to do this. Um, the, all of these steps, it's really great information. These steps really work. I'm going to go through them one by one. But keep in mind that this is not about doing them all at once. This really is one step at a time. And before I get started, I, I just want to let everybody know I, I have a little bit of a cough. I don't think I've coughed yet, which is amazing, but if you hear a little cough here and there through this talk, then um, hopefully it won't be too disruptive. So what I'd love to have everybody do is if it's available to you to grab a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil, and it'd be hard to take too long to do it on a computer, so if it's, you've got paper and pencil or pen, that would be great. And on this paper, turn it lengthwise so it's, you know, long, long way. <laughs> and just draw a line in the middle of the, of the paper. And then write the numbers one through nine on this line. So this is the kind of continuum or actually path, if you will. And so what I'm, what I invite you to do is each step that I talk about, write that step on, you know, the line number one and what that is and any notes that you want to write about it. And and then start to see this as this is your path, your journey. And it's not, there's not a destination at the end. You know, you don't get step nine and then suddenly, you know, your life is great, although that could happen. I'm totally open for that. And there'll be huge transitions. Um, each of these steps will. But the journey of life always going you know we're always learning about ourselves and we're always growing and that's how I see this your relationship with food it's, it's a way to help you understand yourself and learn more about yourself so this is your journey one step at a time I love that. so yeah so the first step is and this really is the first step some of the other ones you can mix and you know uh, change around but the very first step really is to Eat what you want. So to let go of diet mentality, there's no such thing as good food. There's no such thing as bad food or healthy or unhealthy. It's about undoing all the things that dieting has done. So dieting teaches you not to trust yourself. Dieting tells you what you're supposed to, what to eat based on what uh the fact that you're supposed to look a certain way, um, the fact that someone says, oh, this is, this is good for you. You know, and all these, these beliefs and, you know, pseudo facts that have nothing to do with you or your body. So eating what you want undoes all of that. It's also the step that helps the most with getting rid of the binging. So this is how it works. You, you go on your first diet, and it's not that big a deal. You know, you restrict foods. I'm not going to eat that, that, that. That's bad for me. And it may work fine. It's your first diet. There's, you know, you lose some weight. People comment. feels great. 
But then you go to a party, and at this party are the chips and the cake and all those goodies that you've said are bad and you have restricted. But you want those foods, right? I mean, they're tasty. They're good. You haven't haven't had them in a while. And so the binge part of you starts to develop. And this is only one diet. Imagine 10 diets, 100 diets later, which some of you may have done. And that binge part of you is now huge. In fact, it may be that every time you even think about dieting, that binge voice goes, oh, no, it's like the last supper. It has to eat as much as possible to prevent. It's really rebel against this restriction in this diet. So eating what you want is about giving that binge part of you what it wants, which is food. It really is just food. And what happens, and it it may feel like magic, actually, because my guess is a lot of you, if you guys feel this binge part of you, 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 it feels completely out of control. Yeah. So what happens when you feed it, when you give it what it wants, it calms down. Right now it doesn't trust you. It says, you know, when you say, okay, I'm going to eat what I want, so right now I really want a piece of cake. And the bitch party says, oh, goody, I get to have cake, and I'm going to eat it, and I'm going to eat a lot of it, and because I, I know you're going to take it away from me any moment, and or tomorrow you're not going to let me have it. And so it eats more and more because it doesn't trust you. So if tomorrow it says, I want chocolate cake, and you say, okay, you can have it. And the next day, I want chocolate cake. Okay, you can have it, no problem. Then that part, that voice, that binge part starts to trust you again and starts to say, well, okay, I can have it, and you really mean it because I've been eating it now for four days straight and even twice yesterday. So, all right, well, then suddenly what happens is the chocolate cake could be sitting right there, and you and you think, no, I don't really want it right now. I know I can have it later if I want it, so I'm not going to eat it right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like this has a lot to do with coming to understand um, your choice in the matter. Mhm. Exactly. You get to have a choice. Doing this step takes away that rebellion so that you really can have a choice in the matter. There's no more feeling of being out of control or that binge voice, which is very strong, kind of controlling things. Mm. Now, what happens if I say, okay, I want cake, and I'm going to have cake, and I go and get that, and then the next day I have cake, and then before I know it, I've gained, you know, 10 pounds? How do you how do you balance that? How do you um, how does that play a part in it when you're wanting to kind of manage your weight, but also wanting to give yourself this freedom to choose? Yeah, um, that's a great question because the answer to that is all about the emotions, which is the the next piece. And I, all these steps are really about you know it's not about food, which we already talked about. So from that perspective, eating what you want will absolutely bring up the emotion of fear. Mm. And the fear, that it is, what if I gain weight? And I, and this is across the board, as, as you can imagine, and, and everyone listening probably is feeling that. Oh, my gosh, if I do that, I'm going to gain a bunch of weight. And so what that fear is, if you just kind of take a look at it and breathe into it, what if you do gain weight? What might happen? Let's use you as an example, Rachel. What would happen if you did gain weight? What might happen? 
Sure. Well, um, I might just not want to be uh, seen. I might feel really bad about the way I look and, and maybe mm-hmm. not want to be intimate with my partner or I might feel really uncomfortable in my clothes and mm-hmm. um, maybe don't want to go out as much and won't be as social because I just feel um, like I don't fit, like I'm I'm too big. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So what that translates into is that equals you're not good enough. Mm. You're not lovable. You're not worthy. Right, right. Yeah. So that's the connection. That's what, and in our culture it makes sense, that's what we're told. Mm-hmm. If you're fat, that's bad. Got you're it. not good enough. You need to lose weight. It's a fitting in thing. So that's what it translates to. So when you start to have that fear, which is very natural, then you have the opportunity to go to the place of, okay, this isn't about gaining weight. This is about not feeling worthy. And I guarantee that connects to a place of probably of childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, either right. you were taught that directly or indirectly or the trauma that you've been through, um, you know, brings up that feeling. So it's a great way to to be able to to experience that feeling and heal it rather than running away from it by trying to save in. Got it. Okay, interesting. Now, you said that the next step is um, kind of plays a part in um, helping with that fear a little bit. Can you tell us more about that? Yes. And also before I do, I just want to let everybody know, you may gain a little weight by doing this step. Stick with it. Um, work on the fear. Your body will go back. Um, and all the other steps are kind of about they're, you know, not the free-for-all. So that first step is really important because it, you know, kind of helps you get back into the middle ground, you know, so you're not restricting and binging. It helps you get into that middle ground. And then the others are healthy ways of of implementing, um, you know, kind of the boundaries and um, self-care into it. Okay. And and then your your weight will your body likes to stay a certain weight. So even if you gain some, you're much more likely to to then come go back. And I hear about that all the time. Um, and you may not even necessarily gain weight at all. Uh, it just depends on a lot of factors. So I want to say that. Okay. So yes. Um, yeah. Step yeah. Step two is um, you know when you're let you let go of diet mentality and you're doing really great with that step and it feels easy. Um, and it doesn't have to be 100%, but enough, then you're ready to move on to the next step, and that's to eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. And I, so I hear a lot from my clients that portion control is the problem. They don't even know how to feed their bodies. A lot of my clients don't even know when they're hungry. Mm-hmm. They don't, they're out of touch with their body. Um, they, they just have no way of really connecting in with that. Plus, there's a lot of emotional stuff. So hunger feels like emptiness, and emotional emptiness needs to be avoided. So eating is a way just to keep filling a hole or a void or an emptiness. So that's often what's happening on an emotional level. And so paying attention to that and, and, you know, facing that emptiness feeling by letting yourself get hungry, and I don't mean starving at all, just where you're starting to feel hunger. Plus, what people realize is they will survive. You will survive being hungry, mm-hmm. I, I promise. 
<laughs> when I first realized that, I'm like, I'm hungry and it's okay. Right. I'm okay. Um, are you talking so about hungry at the point where, like, your stomach is doing its little rumbly, growly thing? Is yes. that the cue that you're looking for to tell you? That, that is that is one of them, and it's very different for different people. For me, my first clue that I'm hungry is I start yawning. I get really tired. Oh. Um, and it's before my stomach growls, and I'm like, oh, why am I so tired? Oh, well, it's been five hours. I ate, so that's probably why. Um, and that's why what I suggest with – um, this step is to create a hunger scale. And you can look this up on the Internet. They're all over the place. But it's basically a scale from 1 to 10, and 10 being you're so stuffed you can't even move, and 1 being you're, you can't even lift your arm because you're so tired and out of energy you're starving. And the goal is to eat at about a 3, maybe a 4, and then just stop at around a 7. And so you can see that as you do this, it's about, you know, okay, checking in with my body. Where am I on this hunger scale? And learning about it, first, you probably won't know. Um, but kind of playing with it, let yourself get a little more hungry than you normally would. How does that feel? Um, let yourself stop before um, getting too full, and how does that feel? And a lot of times, you'll whatever you're feeling will be that underlying emotional um, emptiness or, you know, fear mm-hmm. of, of feeling that emptiness. It's just very common. Is this also where the kind of eating out of boredom comes in? Like, I'm not really even hungry, but I'm just, this is my pattern, this is my habit, or this is the time of day when I'm supposed to eat, or those sorts of things? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Checking in with your hunger. Okay, I'm not really hungry, so what what might be going on? And since you mentioned boredom, I hear that a lot. And what I would suggest is it's actually the feeling of loneliness. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And then also some some um, people might actually wait too long to eat. And emotionally, that's kind of a feeling of, see, I'm in control. I'm I can I've got my life handled. I don't have to eat when I'm hungry. I can ignore my body. And so that's also problematic. So that person, it would be important to eat sooner than you normally would. And then that's what's going to trigger underlying feelings. Okay. Okay, got it. Yeah, I think that's this is really interesting, the the getting in touch. You know, first of all, getting in touch with your choice, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, figuring out when, you know, one thing that you said was, Doing that first until you, until you feel at ease about it, uh, and I, I found that really interesting because I found myself going, "Well, how do I know when I'm at ease?" <laughs> so I'm imagining that it has something to do with like that anxiety and that voice that kind of mm-hmm. is constantly in the background gets quiet, and then really yeah. starting to pay attention to what your body wants to choose and what it needs. Mm-hmm. 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 Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, great. And you will start craving vegetables. I promise. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. That's, you know the shift has happened when you turn down foods that you normally would not, you know, or that binge party you doesn't want. So you say, yeah, I don't really want that cake. And you say, what I really want is some broccoli. Wow. Yeah. Nice. And people are amazed, just like you, <laughs> you were. Um, but it absolutely happens because our bodies do want nutrients that um, – that they want them, and they will send you signals. They will, you will crave things that your body needs. Okay. We just need to give the binge part what it wants, so it so it calms down, okay. so that you can then listen to it. Great. 
I love that. I love it so far. I'm really excited about this. So now is is that it for step two or and or is there more that you want to say about that? Um, I think that's it for step two. And if you don't have any questions, then and everybody, we're going to try to get to a Q and A at the end. So if you've got questions, write them down, and we'll address them later. And um, that hopefully uh, Rachel's thinking of a lot, so I don't forget anything along the way. Good. So now, just as a reminder, as people are listening and you're going through these, they're supposed to be writing down um, kind of what's happening for them now and, and what they imagine they'd like to be doing or experiencing in that area. Um, yeah, just write down. So under number one on your paper, write down, you know, eat what you want. And number two, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. And then just any notes um, that you want to have for yourself so that you can kind of look at your journey and um, and see, you know, maybe you'll write down uh, the fear that you were feeling about possibly mm-hmm. gaining weight and what that might really be about. So anything that Got would it. be helpful for you to understand yourself a little bit more. Perfect. Thank you for tuning in and joining us today. Don't forget to visit www.rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and to explore the other resources available on the site. And please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and check in for part two of overcoming food and weight obsessions. Until next time, take good care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.